Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Amen. Well, again, welcome to everyone. We are really glad to be gathered here online. Before I begin the uh, teaching, I did want to say one or two uh, brief announcements. Uh, The the main announcement being you should have already received an email uh, notifying you that as the elders have been seeking counsel and talking and praying and looking at the information uh, as best we can, uh, we have decided that we are going to begin an in-person, inside gathering again on Sunday, June 28th. So that's two weeks from today. Uh, You should have received an email talking about that. Uh, and we'll be giving more information out to everyone to let you know kind of the logistical things of what's going to go on. The meeting will look different than it did when we were here before. We're going to try and keep everything safe for everyone and secure uh, the the best we know how. And so we're going to be following the, the recommendations that have been given to us, and we'll be giving more information about that. We do want to encourage and stress to everyone that if you are excited and looking forward to coming here, that is great. We rejoice with you. If you are someone who the medical authorities have recommended that you should not gather in a gathering like that, or if you're someone who just personally does not feel comfortable, we want to be very clear, we support you as well. There is not pressure. There is no more spiritual way or less spiritual way to do this. We're going to walk through this together. We are one church, and we're going to walk through it together as one church. Part of that is going to be that there are going to be continued uh, opportunities for people who can't even come and gather in the Sunday morning uh, gathering here. We'll be continuing to be online. Everything will be streaming live as it happens here. All the materials will be provided as they have been before. We're also going to be continuing our Friday uh, or our weeknight communions. They've been on Friday so far. We're going to be continuing our outside communion services so that anyone who does not feel comfortable or cannot come inside can still be able to come to the Lord's table, can still spend time in fellowship with believers, physically distanced in a safe manner outside. And we're going to have the pop-up pantries continuing so there's other opportunities for fellowship and serving people out in the community. So we're going to walk through this together. But we are going to begin on January the 28th. Our plan right now, Lord willing, is that on the 28th, we will have our first indoor, uh, in-person gathering that we've been able to do since back March the 8th. It's been a long time, but we're looking forward to being able to do that together. So with that, we're going to go ahead and move to uh, this week's teaching. And today's text is going to come from Acts chapter 17, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 28, Acts 17, 26 to 28. I'm going to be using the New International Version, though I am definitely going to make a a big point out of the underlying Greek text to help us understand what God is speaking to us. Acts chapter 17, verses 26 through 28. Hear now the word of your sovereign creator and redeemer. From one man, he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Well, obviously, if you've been paying attention in our culture recently, there have been a lot of events going on, not only the uh, situation with the coronavirus and and COVID and all the quarantines and everything else, but obviously in recent weeks, uh, there have been a lot of protests going on uh, arising out of several recent deaths where uh, innocent African-Americans were killed either in a couple of cases by police officers, in one case by basically a couple of vigilantes. I'm speaking of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and in particular, 
the uh, murder of George Floyd up in Minneapolis. And this has sparked protests, not only here in the US, but actually around the world. People have been protesting and saying, why is there still not equality? Why is there still this struggle? Why are people being judged and prejudged based on something other than just their simple humanity? So I wanna take this time, it's a topic I've talked about before, but I want us to address today this issue of racism. What does the scripture say about racism? And I also want us to ask ourselves the question, is this really a gospel issue or is it some kind of a political issue? Some folks have actually re reacted to this by saying that this is starting to talk about politics. And if you've been around Bay Ridge for long, you know that I'm here to teach the word of God. And so there are those who would say that. I, I heard an interview with the pastor this week who, who someone had said, uh, look, you just need to stay away from the whole racism thing and just stick to preaching the gospel. Is that something that we can do or is God trying to get us to see something deeper and is this actually a gospel issue? That's what we're gonna dive in today to see. So we're gonna begin by looking at the fact that the scripture tells us and Paul here is preaching that there is one human race. Notice in Acts 17, Paul is preaching to a group of people in Athens. So these are not Christians, they're not even Jews, they're, they're unbelievers in Athens. And he be, in his sermon here, he's talking, and in verse 26, he says that from one man, God made every nation of men. From one man, God made every nation of men. Now he's here clearly talking about Adam. He's talking about the creation of Adam, the original human being, and the father of every human. But in the midst of this group of people, these Greeks who oftentimes looked down on others because they thought they were the cultured Greeks and they considered other people barbarians, Paul says, I want you to understand something. We all come from the same human being. We didn't, we didn't arise from many, many different sources. There is one human at the beginning that God created, and we all come from him. And so Paul is telling them and us that no matter who we are, no matter what our sex, no matter our skin color, no matter what language we speak, we are all part of the one human race descended from Adam. And hear me, whatever your skin color, whether you are male or female, whatever your ethnic background, whatever your cultural background, your core identity is that you are a human being. We are one race. The most important thing that can be said of any human being is in fact that they're human. There is no greater thing. That is our core identity. Everything else we might say regarding who I am and where I've come from and whatever other identifiers we might use, none of them rise to the importance. They don't even come close to the importance of the fact that we are human. Now, the reason this is so, Paul goes on to discuss, which is that because we are human, we are all made in the image of God. We all bear the image of God. Notice in verse 28, Paul quotes here and he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. It's interesting, in neither of these verses, if you notice, Paul goes back and quotes Genesis. We know these things from the book of Genesis, but he was preaching to an unbelieving audience. So rather than quoting Genesis, he quotes actually from two Greek poets. These are actually quotes, interestingly enough, their poems to their pagan gods. These were basically, if you want to think of it in our terms, their worship songs to their false gods. But Paul says, even in your falseness, you understood something, you laid hold of something. And that is that our being is found in God. Even if we have a false concept of who he is, or even if we deny him, if someone were to be sitting out there today and they say, I don't even believe there is a God, it does not matter. Your being comes from God and is found in God and you bear the image of God. Paul goes on and says, notice in the second quote, we are his offspring. This means we are the children of God. 
we bear God's image. Now, biblically, we can go back and look and see that this was in fact the case, that Adam was made in the image of God, and then he passed that image on, that likeness on to every one of his descendants. Notice in Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 3, we read, this is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So man is in God's likeness or image. In verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. So notice the writer there uses the same words that are in the Genesis account back in chapter 1 and are also repeated here in chapter 5 to say, as Adam was made in the image and likeness of God, when he had children, when he and Eve had little children, they were born carrying forth that image and that likeness. It didn't stop with Adam. It didn't even stop when there was the fall. Adam is in the image and likeness of God. Adam's children are in the image and likeness of God. Every human being who is descended from Adam, which is all of us, is equally in the image and likeness of God. So as I said a moment ago about the fact that we are all human and that that is our core identity, I say again, no matter who we are, no matter our sex, whether we're male or female, no matter our skin color, no matter the language we speak, we all bear the image of God. And this is our core dignity. Whatever my skin color, my education level, my economic uh, ability and the amount of wealth that I've accumulated, none of that can make me of more value or worth or dignity because the ultimate value and worth and dignity that can ever be ascribed to a creature is that you are the image of God. And every human being from conception to death bears that image. And we all bear that image equally. So the value of every human being is found in the image of God, which every one of us bear. Now, so there's these two points. We are all descended from Adam. We are all the image of God. But there's a flip side that Paul points out, which is that within that one humanity, within that a group of people who bear the image of God, there are in fact many ethnicities or nations in humanity. Notice again in verse 26, uh, Paul says that from one man he made every nation of men. And this is where I'm going to bring out the Greek a little bit there. The Greek word for nation is ethnos, from which we get ethnicity. That's what he's meaning. He does not mean he made every geopolitical boundary as in America is one of those nations. He's talking about every ethnicity. So some nations have thousands of, some, some geopolitical nations would have thousands of these nations as the NIV translated this term, this, this ethnos, this ethnicity. So we are all descendants of Adam and Eve and we are all the image of God. But there are many ethnicities, many nations, if you will, and each one of them is different from the next. The point is not that they're all identical, but in fact that they are all distinct and different. So our ethnicity, our tribe, our people group is a critical part of who we are and how we experience life, how we respond to God and give praise and worship to God uh, and the gospel are all wrapped up in that being part of that ethnos, being part of that ethnicity, part of that tribe. And we need to understand this too is part of the image of God. This is part of us as human beings being the image of God. Our God is so great that no one ethnicity can possibly encompass who he is or can adequately represent him. Let me, let me say that again. Uh, our God is so great that no one ethnicity can possibly encompass who he is or accurately, adequately 
represent him. We need all the different ethnicities. Now this diversity is also part of the image of God because our God is the Holy Trinity. He is one God, there is unity, but he eternally exists in three persons. So there is diversity or multiplicity. He is both one and the many, unity and diversity. And therefore, when God makes human beings, there is unity in that we are all the one human race and we are all equally image bearers of God, but there is diversity in that God himself has made us so that we are many uh, nations, we are many ethnicities, we are many tribes and people groups. And the diversity we experience via the different ethnicities and cultures is not a bad thing. Rather, it is part of the very expression of who God is, it is part of his good plan for humanity, and it's going to continue into eternity. Notice in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, you can see it on the screen. It says, After this I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hand, and they, they go on and they sing worship to God. This is John's picture of the people of God in heaven. This is not just something that's going on here on earth. This is the eternal bride of Christ. And notice there the word nation, that they're from every nation, is again ethnos. It's every ethnicity, every people group, every tribe, whatever term you want to use for it. And it did not stop when they became Christians. It did not stop at their death. It does not stop when we suddenly get into heaven. No, it is an eternal reality, friends. Our ethnicity will go with us into eternity. We're still marked by it, and it will even inform our worship of God. Notice that every language is included here. See, friends, our triune God, the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is so awesome and so beyond compare that a multitude of ethnicities and cultural expressions are required to adequately display his glory and proclaim his praise. One group cannot do it. My tribe, my ethnicity, those who are from my background are not adequate to display the glory of God nor to proclaim his praise. I need people who are different than me people who are from a different ethnicity, people who are from a different tribe, if you will, or people group that are brought in. This is God's good plan. It's part of us being in the image of God, and friends, it will continue for eternity. Now, it would be great if I could stop right there, but unfortunately, I can't because we have a struggle with what we refer to as racism. Now, God has created many ethnicities. He's the one that did that, Paul said. He, he brought forth all of these nations, and we're going to see even more about that in a moment. But we struggle to embrace one another. To, to adequately show the Holy Trinity, the unity and diversity, we need to embrace one another. But we struggle to do this. And the term that is often used to describe this is racism. Now, I wish it was a different term because it implies that there are many human races. There are many races within humanity, but there's really not. There is one human race. There are many ethnicities within that race, but there's only one human race. But nonetheless, I'm not going to be able to change that term now. Racism is what it is usually called. And it's a problem across the world. See, here's the way we human beings are, and this is not new. This has been going on for a long, long time, and after hours on Tuesday, I'm going to talk about what a struggle it was for the early church to wrestle through this. Uh, it's been going on a long time. See, as long as people are far away, their differences are exotic. We, we like them. We might enjoy going and spending a little time with them because they live 
far away, across an ocean, or even at least across the state. I don't really have to rub shoulders with them. But when suddenly we are now living together, when suddenly we are in close proximity with one another, when suddenly my way of experiencing life and your different way of experiencing life come into contact with one another, well, then we have problems. It leads to friction and it leads to conflict. Now, it's important to understand this is not always determined by skin color. We tend to think of it that way here in America, but that's not the way it is. Most of you, if you're older, will remember the great genocide that went on in Rwanda. And that was between two tribes, two ethnos, two ethne, two, two ethnicities, the, the Hutus and the Tutsis. And one group began to slash out and strike at the other, and they actually referred to them as cockroaches and all kinds of things to dehumanize them, to make them somewhat less. Because they were having to live with one another and the differences were creating frictions and problems. And it had nothing to do with skin color. You and I would have probably met them and not had any idea who was a Hutu and who was a Tutsi, but they knew. They saw the cultural markers, they saw the differences, and it led to genocide. And it's not just not only a, a, a skin color problem, and it's not just here in America, it's not just related to our day. It's always been a problem. In Acts chapter 6, we see the very first problem arise in the early church. There's been all this wonderful stuff, all of this unity. We see the gospel spreading in Jerusalem, and then suddenly in Acts chapter 6, there's a problem between two different groups of Jews. Now, they're the same skin color, they're the same nationality, but one of them is Hebrew or Aramaic speaking, and the other group is Greek speaking. And there are differences in their cultures, and they view the broader Hellenized Greek world differently from one another, and suddenly friction arises. And it's the first problem in the church that we see. You can read about it there in Acts chapter 6. See, our sin leads you and me and it's been this way ever since Adam and Eve fell. We tend to break down into tribes and we uh, to not embrace God's call to, to embrace one another. Instead, what we want to try and do is find a way to make sure that my tribe has got the upper hand. To make sure you can come in, but you're going to have to become like me. You need to speak the language I speak. You need to embrace the cultural things I like, the music I like, the food I like, the way I view life. You need to embrace that because after all, my way is the right way. And if you tell me you don't struggle with that, then the, the word that's coming to mind is either you're deceived or you're lying to yourself. We all struggle with that. I like my own tribe, my own way of doing things. It's what feels comfortable in my own skin. Friends, this is the effect of sin, and it touches every single human being. America's added a little twist to it, and that ours has particularly over time become tied with skin color. There are those who are of a more European descent, white skin color, and then there are black skin color, African Americans, and now we have a Latino, Latin American you know, more brown skin color coming in. And of course, we've got Asian and all that. We, we've tended to make a big deal out of that. That's not always been the case in other countries. That's been kind of our extra little twist. But make no mistake about it, there are even breakdowns. If you were Irish or uh, Italian and came over at certain times to America, you were rejected as being other because you, in fact, were part of a different people group. So this is a struggle. But I want you to notice something here. Paul tells us that God is the one who brought all the ethnicities together. It was God's intent. Notice he tells us in verse 26, not only did he make every nation of men, that God made them, but he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. Paul says in his sovereignty, God has determined where every one of these ethne, every one of these ethnicities live, every one of these people groups and tribes, where they live and when they live and each age. 
And so what this means for you and me is God has brought us as the American church to this time and to this place. He sovereignly determined that we were going to be this mix of people groups and that we were going to live in a geographic political entity that is brimming with different ethnicities. This is the sovereign choice of God, according to Paul. He determined where we would live and when we would live. Now, let's be honest, in our sinful fallen world, life is easier when we're only in contact with people of my own ethnicity, when I'm only in contact with people who are like me, who experience life the way I experience life, and their background is very similar to mine. When everyone around me looks like me and thinks like me and likes the same music and likes the same food and has the same culture and experience, and I, and I might say everyone should like the music I like because I have very incredible taste in music. But we all struggle with that. We all want people to be like us. But God has determined. He wants us to live in contact with others of different ethnicities, other people groups, other tribes in our time and place. This is the sovereign will of God. And so for you and me to long for a simpler time, when we didn't have this and we weren't all in contact with one another and everybody kind of stayed off in their own little silos is actually to long for something other than what God in his sovereignty is calling you and me to. There is a call to us as his church in this time, in this place, to embrace who God has brought us together with. And so it means that God is calling us to the real work of learning to embrace one another with all of our cultural differences, to make room for one another, to learn to hear one another, to empathize with experiences that may be very different than our own. Because see, if you grew up in one ethno group, if you grew up in one people, one tribe here in America, and someone else grew up in another, their experience of America may be wildly different than yours. It may be the exact opposite of yours. And we need to learn to hear and to empathize and to learn one another's stories. And friends, that's hard work. That's why we would rather just stay with people whose experiences and background are the same. And so we are being called by God because he has sovereignly determined this. We're being called to resist the sinful impulse to attempt to prioritize the culture or experiences of my tribe over other tribes. That is a sinful impulse to say, if you want to be around me, then you need to adopt my cultural experience, my cultural markers that plagued certain sections in the early church, and God calls us away from that in his sovereignty. And all of this, I might say, and I feel comfortable saying this because I am part of the majority ethnicity. I am part of the majority tribe or people group. The biblical call is always that those who have power prefer and honor those who don't. The older is to serve the younger. The leader is to serve the follower. This is always the biblical call. It's not the way it works in the world. In the way of the world, the majority take power and rule and you just learn to get along with it. But in the biblical call, those who are actually in the dominant position are called to go out of their way to lay down their rights in honor to help brothers and sisters who are placed in a weaker position. You see this uh, between masters and servants in the New Testament. You see this between husbands and wives in the New Testament. That's the call. It is always the biblical call, and it applies even as we are embracing one another as different people groups. Now, this leads to the last point that I want to make before we go to applying the word, which is the goal in all of this. God has a goal. And the goal is the flourishing of the gospel. 
So I said earlier, is this really a gospel issue? Paul tells us it is. Notice in verse 27, Paul says God made one man and every nation came from him and God determined where they were going to live, the exact times and places. So he's put us in this time and place. And why did he do this? Verse 27, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. God has brought us to this time and this place so that more people could know him, so that he could bring people back to himself. Now, I want to tell you, there's a time in which I would have looked and said, well, this wasn't a very good plan. I think it's better if I just stick within my little group. And we are free to think that if we think we're wiser than God. But my money is on the fact that God's wiser than I am. And he says, this is the way to get people to reach out and find them. He's determined the time. He's determined the place. He's determined what tribes are in contact with each other. And he's done that specifically for the prospering of the gospel. So to anyone who would say this topic and this idea is a distraction from the gospel, let's get back to the gospel, I say the Apostle Paul disagrees. He says this lies at the heart of how God intends to get the gospel out. We don't get the gospel out by segregating off. We get the gospel out when we come together. It's the path to the flourishing of the gospel in our day. Now, that means that there's a call for us in the American church today. We need to hear God's call for our time and place. Earlier generations, and I love reading the stirring stories where the church in the West began to realize that there were whole continents and people groups that had not heard the gospel. And people heard the call, and they sacrificed much to pick up and move off to reach out to a different ethnos, to reach out to a different tribe, a different people group, and to take the gospel to those other tribes in foreign lands. And it led to an incredible harvest of the gospel. So that today, when this process began, the average Christian looked like me. They were white-skinned with some kind of a Northern European background. That is not the case today. And thanks be to God that it is not. The gospel is flourishing. Our church is part of that. And we need to continue being part of that. But that was a call in an earlier generation. Our generation in the American church must address the issue in our own country as well to see the gospel flourish here. We need to continue doing what we're doing there. But if our our concern for other groups and other tribes is only the ones who live over there, and I'm not concerned about the ones that God has placed me with here, friends, that undermines our effectiveness. It gives the lie to how concerned we actually are. The church in America has remained divided for far too long. In fact, there was a church growth movement that flourished from the 70s all the way till today. And one of the vital principles they said is, if you want your church to grow, then get everybody from the same people group. Make everybody the same. They ought to have the same politics. They ought to like the same food, like the same music. And there ought not be any friction over things like that. Friends, that may make sense from a marketing perspective, but it is patently unbiblical. It is not God's call. So we need to see we live in a time of great opportunity for the church to show forth God's call as people from various tribes and nations gather together to worship, love, and serve God together. And friends, I believe it would be a huge catalyst for the gospel in our area. I have been praying for revival and awakening in this city that I love for 30 years now. I've been crying out to God for this. And I believe one reason that it has not come is too often the church is divided. There are great barriers between the various people groups right here in our city. And God wants to see that broken down. The church cannot pass it off for a future generation. We need to embrace that call now.
So how do we apply the word? There's two questions, and I'm going to close with a prayer. The first question is for us as a church. How will BRCC be part of this? And I want to begin by saying a, a healthy thank you and patting us on the back. We are not a church where everyone is the same. And if you think we are, then you should get the calls and the various things I get because I can assure you we are not all the same. We don't all have the same political ideas. We don't all have the same cultural backgrounds. We don't all view things the same way. We come from different races or ethne. Uh, we come from different economic levels, different educational backgrounds and levels, different political affiliations. And I want to say to the church, thank you. That is the way it should be. I love that whenever it is that we can all be gathered back here together, I love that when I look out, I see a microcosm of the county in which I live and the county to which I'm called that we're not all one race. We don't all look like me. We don't all sound like me, but we are actually gathering from all the groups in our area. That is good. It is healthy, and I want to thank you for being part of that. It's easy to flee somewhere where it is not that way. And I want to promise you we're going to continue to proactively pray and look for ways for God's going to make us as a church that looks like our county and is a foretaste of heaven. We're going to continue to proactively pray and work towards that. Part of that is we do not give into a false dichotomy of there is preaching the gospel and then there's doing these good works. There's kind of reaching out and taking care of the poor. I thank you that this church wants the gospel proclaimed wants the word of God clearly taught, and also wants to reach out and help the homeless and the poor. That this church wants to serve at pop-up pantries. That this church wants to serve our community. Friends, we need to continue cultivating and developing that because everything in our culture pushes back against that. We're going to continue to look for ways to partner with other churches to serve in our area. And we need to continue praying. I ask you, I urge you, pray for us to be part of God's mission, not just around the globe. That is important. That is always going to be here. It is always going to be a central part of who we are. But we are on mission here. And I am as concerned for all the different ethne here as I am for the ones over there. I'm as concerned for every people group in Annapolis as I am for the people groups that we are trying to reach in India or Indonesia. And we're going to continue to do that as a church. We need to pray together, labor, and work together. The second question is, how can I personally be part of this? Well, we need to begin by recognizing every one of us. If you're taking notes, capitalize every, underline it, circle it. Every one of us is called to work to see the gospel flourish. It's not Brett's job and the elder's job to make the gospel flourish. It's not somebody else's. It's your job to help the gospel flourish here in our time, in our place. To see revival in the church and awakening among the lost. And so how do I fulfill that responsibility? Well, since we're talking about people groups and that there are differences in our cultural backgrounds, I want us to ask ourselves, if I was going out as a missionary to reach out to another nation, another ethnos, what would I do to be effective? If I felt God's call and he told me to go to a country, like when I went to Niger years ago, if I was called there, what would I need to do to be effective and to see the gospel flourish? Let me give a couple of words. Number one, I need to learn. I need to read books. I need to learn about who these other people are and realize they're not just like me. Their background, their experiences are not like mine. Well, the same thing is true here, friend. If you are from the dominant white culture, you really don't understand what your African-American friends have been through. You don't understand what your friends from Latin America who have moved here have been through. You, you don't understand what even an Asian American has been through. And the only way to begin is by learning, reading books. There, a lot has been written. Things that sometimes even make me uncomfortable because moving into a different culture is not easy. 
It's hard to establish that bridge. takes a lot of work. Just ask a missionary or ask somebody who's ever been in a different cultural context. Secondly, if I were moving as a missionary to a different country and reaching out to a different people group, I would listen. James 1.19 is a very important verse. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. This is especially critical right now. I, I am watching on social media and other places as people are saying things that are just not helpful. They are, they're not listening. We're wanting to spout our own opinions. And what needs to happen right now is a lot of listening. And particularly, if you're interacting with someone who is expressing great pain, give them space to do so. Let me give you a little pastoral advice. Years ago, I was walking with a family that had been through a very difficult loss. And I was speaking to extended family who were concerned because the family member who had been attending our church that was going through the loss was saying some things. They were kind of in their pain saying things that weren't actually true and correct. But I tried to say, you've got to give them room to express their pain. If you are trying to correct everything they're saying, all you're going to do is inflict more pain on top of the pain. The time's going to come and we can have a conversation. What they need right now is for you and me to listen. And that's the same thing that needs to happen in our conversations. Thirdly, if I were a missionary, I would be praying. And we need to pray. We need God to move. Let me speak specifically about the relationship between those who are white and those who are African American, those who have black skin. We have over 400 years of history here in our country, 401 years now. And the first three quarters of that or more, actually 85% of it, was lived under slavery and was lived under Jim Crow. Friends, the biblical term for what was established there was a spiritual stronghold. And spiritual strongholds do not come down by political laws. They don't come down by wishing them away. They don't come down by positive thinking. They come down by fasting and praying and spiritual warfare. If you and I moved into a different country, you would see the spiritual strongholds that are there. Our problem is we've grown up in America and we're comfortable with the spiritual strongholds that are there. But that does not make them right. And we need to rise up. We need to do spiritual warfare to see these things broken down. It has gone on too long. And we do not need, whereas the saying goes, Sunday morning at 11 a.m. is the most divided hour of the week. Friends, that is a tragedy and it is a sign of the power and depth of these spiritual strongholds. They will be broken only by prayer. If you are a prayer warrior, if you cannot leave your house right now because of the coronavirus situation, you can do spiritual warfare. You can cry out for God to break down these strongholds. And the last thing, of course, I would do if I were a missionary going to another country is I would reach out. I would be trying to build relationships with people who were from the people group, the tribe, the ethne I was trying to reach. I would reach out and try and build a relationship with them. I would try to hang out with them. I would try to establish ways where we might be able to serve together and do something where I could build relationship. And friends, I would do the same thing here. Do you and I actually reach out and build relationships? One of my privileges over the last number of years is reaching out to friends from other communities whose backgrounds are different than mine, particularly the African-American community, and building relationships and saying, help me understand, speak to me, talk to me, help me to begin to try to see life from your perspective. If I went to another culture, and crazy enough, you know, we did this. For a time, we went to China and told the Chinese, if the gospel's gonna flourish here, you have to start 
acting and thinking and speaking like a Westerner, as if the culture that was coming from England or America was God's culture. That was foolishness. And thankfully, Hudson Taylor went in and said, that's craziness, and this is why we're not impacting the culture. They had to get out and actually build relationships with people. Friends, we have to do the same thing. So this is a challenge for you and for me, but it's a challenge that God has given us. And I want to remind you, the promises are great. God has called us to such a time as this. It's like when Esther was called for the time and place she was. You and I were called to this time. We were called to this place. And the rewards that God holds out is nothing less than the flourishing of the gospel. God has determined we are in this time and this place with these people groups so that people would be reaching out and finding God and his gospel. And you and I have a chance, a privilege to be part of that. Let us not shrink back and give in to our sinful tendencies, but let us rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit to see these strongholds broken and to see God's work established here in our area. Let's take time to pray. Our triune God, you are glorious beyond compare. One God, eternally existent in three persons, perfect unity and perfect diversity. From your abundance, you have made the diversity of all that exists, the sun, moon, and stars, this beautiful planet with its rich bounty, and the multitudes of species in the animal kingdom. But of all you made, humans alone are created in your image. From conception to death, both male and female, every single human is made in your glorious image and is worthy of dignity and respect. And in your wisdom, your glory is displayed not only in the unity of the human race, but also in our diversity. You have made us into many peoples, all equally bearing your image, but glorious in the diversity of our cultures. It is to your glory when we embrace and honor one another. But in our sin, we have so often rejected your image in those of different people groups, even going so far to demean, despise, and enslave. Forgive us, our God. Have mercy and cleanse us from our sin. Lord, you have called your church to be a display of your diversity and unity. A church where Gentile and Jew, male and female, rich and poor, powerful and marginalized, and every skin color and ethnicity are received, encouraged, heard, and given honor. At times the church has done this well. And for that, we give you thanks. But far too often, we have failed, marring your image and hindering your gospel in the process. Forgive us, our God. Have mercy and cleanse us from our sin. And pour forth your Spirit upon us now in Pentecostal power again to do a new work among us so that your people display the unity you intend. In the midst of a culture reeling from division, may we exist and display glorious unity. In a soundbite world of angry outbursts, may we be those who are quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
as we respond to your spirit in this work. May the gospel flourish in our time, in our place. May there be revival in the church, awakening among the lost, a reformation of your people and this entire nation. And may you receive the glory due your name. Father, we ask all of this in the matchless name of Jesus through the intercession of your glorious Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, I'm going to conclude with a lengthy benediction prayer at Psalm 67, which the song we first sang on, May the Peoples Praise You, the very song we began our worship with, is based on this psalm. And I'm going to do the whole psalm, and I want you to receive God's blessing, but hear the cycle that if we will reach to the other people groups, the other nations, the other tribes around us, how the blessing of God will flow and the gospel will be spread. Receive now the blessing of God. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that his ways may be known on earth, his salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Friends, receive the blessing of God and be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, I look forward to seeing you later this week. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.